Did you know that 83% of technology implementations fail to achieve expected business outcomes? Well, managing technology is incredibly complex. IT covers all processes and everything IT does impacts people in some way. The function is only three decades old, but changing at the fastest pace. Technology industry is highly profitable with intense marketing. Tech companies have the vast majority of the tech talent, not you. Clarity Chat Purpose is rooted in helping you solve IT challenges for business success. To help you decode the complexity, to help you leverage partners effectively, to help you partner with business more effectively, to help you manage change better, to help you attract talent. You get this clarity via experiences of CIOs and business leaders shared informally and candidly over a cup of tea. Welcome to the Clarity Chat Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to this 42nd edition of Clarity Chat. I have with me Nataraj N, Managing Director at Nirmata and ex-CIO of Hexaware. In today's session, we will talk about startup and entrepreneur mindset, transformation from a CIO to a CEO, mergers and acquisitions, experiences as a CIO and how customer centricity helped him save his job. His philosophy, if you change with the time, the time will never leave your side. So true. This is the 42nd episode of Clarity Chat Podcast. And here comes an exciting discussion with Natraj. Welcome Natraj. So Natraj, before we start talking about serious things, let's have a, a melodious start to our chat. So you are a Kishore fan, you sing well. So please sing us a few moving lines from Kishore. Oh, I did not know that I have to sing the song. Probably next time, whatever basically I put in, I should be sure that I know this. Okay, okay, joking. Okay, so uh, let me try. I think I, I, I never thought I will sing a song in this session, probably more of a technology in my experience, but I think it's a good, good to be start with a, some romantic note from Kishore, right? So good. Uh, there's a song from Black Men, I think. So I'll not sing the full because I think we'll not have a time. But uh, let me start. Har sham aakho par tera chal raaye Har raat yaado ki baarat le aaye Main saans le raaho तेरी खुशबू आती है इत महका महका सा पौगाम लाती है तेरे दिल की धड़कन भी तेरे गीत गाती है पल पल दिल के पास तुम रहती हो जीवन मीठी प्यार ये कहती हो पल पल दिल के पास तुम रहती हो Awesome, Natraj. And uh, you know, you got to go back and explain to your wife as to who you were singing this to on your uh, camera. Okay. Uh, I hope she knows that you're singing to all our audience. But what a melodious voice and especially, you know, that uh, 
I mean, voice ko khichna, awesome Nataraj. We didn't know you have this talent as well. So let's get on. Sure. Uh, uh, I hope everyone liked your song. Please give a thumbs up to uh, Nataraj if you did. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, now coming back to serious things, his philosophy is that if you change with time, the time will never leave your side. And I think his continuous transformations in his in his uh, personal and professional life are uh, a message on that. So we'll get deeper inside as we go through the sessions. Now let me quickly come back to like you know I can see these comments flowing down here. So. Um, in our audience, we have observed there are CXOs, founders, IT managers, and technology industry folks. Everyone coming here with a common agenda, how to truly succeed with technology-enabled transformations. To break that 17% jinx, that is 83% technology programs failing to deliver business value. And we learn it from the CIOs and leaders which come on this chat through their personal experiences because there's, there isn't enough formal learning available. Okay, so Nataraj, uh, let's, uh, you know, sort of get a map of your journey, right? You know, so let's do, with, do it with two questions, one about your childhood and one about your uh, career journey. So tell us uh, a quick two, three minutes recap of your childhood. Sure, I think... Um... If you really look at it, my father's story is no less than the Manmohan Desai's uh, movies, right? Typically, three brothers, one brother coming out. Uh, just to fast forward, I think he went out uh, of his house at the age of 17, I think, to pursue his dreams, though, because there were differences. But, you know, I think there were, uh, at the 17, hardly you know that what you know about and what you can do, right? But uh, the the whole thing is, I think, um, uh, he just went down south to work from the Jamshedpur and then again uh, got transferred to uh, deep uh, north which, which is a area called uh, sonipat in haryana right and uh, he worked there i know i think he used to travel almost 40 kilometers a day to just to make his ends meet and um, always people uh, probably creep out the budget and on, all of that. on on cycle 40 kilometers on, on cycle, cycle. Uh, yeah. on cycle because we could never afford to bus and probably he wanted to save the money right uh, for the better things right and we all talk about the budget. My mother, in the last 10 years of those early years, changed every uh, year the house because there was a 10% increase on the rental just to change. I think with those days, I think never were uh, the property dealer or anybody uh, who could help even to ship the house, right? I think so we could have changed 10 houses in probably almost in 10 years. So see, I think we had, I think most of the, the problems in hand, but what we, all of the family members, including my brother and the father and mother, we always had a can-do attitude. And uh, my father never compared, though I think his two of the brothers very well basically settled and uh, working for a disco and other things, right? But he never compared basically with them. And probably that particular part, I think, has never also been imposed on us, right? So, uh, and, you know, right, uh, uh, I was basically the state of, uh, uh, the third in the entire Haryana, and then I could get into the bits. But, you know, I could not get into because of uh, the education cost is equivalent to my father's salary cost. We were in the lower middle, no, not even middle class, lower class family at that time. I think we could hardly afford to anything, but there's no cribs. And then later on, I pursued in uh, Delhi engineering. And then, uh, you know, I think the first job was PCL and then rest is the history. 
yeah so let me uh, let, let me let me kind of recap it i mean that's uh, uh, amazing your father uh, pursued his dreams uh, went out uh, struggled uh, and struggled even when he had a family and uh, you know brought you up uh, with maybe uh, you know with not so much money but a loads of values which Absolutely. is you know, a can do attitude never compare yourself with anyone and i think the biggest thing is that never have a grudge with anyone sure absolutely that's a, that's an amazing thing and then that values is still been uh, completely embedded in me right i think while and that's one of the reason why it probably could be uh, so called if you call that as a successful career i think that yes. definitely adds on to that absolutely absolutely and i think you know the frugal mindset coming from your mom which i can see you know percolated into your career also we'll talk about that okay so uh, natraj the second uh, part of this question give us a 3 minute overview of your career which are the organizations you went through you know what was the role and and one highlight or learning from that stint sure so i started my career in 1991 with uh, patek computers limited not only uh, many people know i think uh, those days in 90s it's an i think the top 3 companies where hcl and wipro and the pcl is to be very well known in those in time i think though i think that company could not survive but however i think uh, the highlights of that particular part is uh, i started handling the pnl responsibility from that particular part and the sense of uh, to some extent right uh, in uh, uh, entrepreneurship right thing grown from there uh, that we will talk about probably later i think how typically it helped right then uh, later on i moved to the wipro and you know right the pcl was the first time to franchise its service arm right called the pcl tacker and it was launched by me and there is guy called ian ghosh i think uh, and that same thing that we pursued here and i became a head of all the i think the south franchise in wipro right and uh, i think when you say franchise typically all the non core work we used to outsource that to the things like rcs are probably the binary and those kind of the companies right so to just to build on the core work then i moved on to the huge software and this is the first time probably at the age of 29 i became a head of it right at the it role and that's something uh, a lot to learn because i think when i i think shifted from pcl to the wipro you know right uh, uh, in a bigger organization while i think the good i think you also tend to meet up sometimes always not uh, with the good boss right but you know i think the, to to me the customer centricity has i think two or three parts one is the direct customer that you are part of it because being a part of the customer support you end, end up to end up the meeting uh, probably the canal sbi these are the i think the global trust bank those are the customers that i used to support during my wipro time then infosys and others right uh, so the interesting story is i always used to uh, sit outside my customer support uh, department either to the sales or to the finance or hr or with the customer i think none of the probably weeks uh, including lunch or dinner anything right i never spent with basically typically the my same department and that allowed to understand in two perspectives building a greater connect with the sales and probably finance to understand what is typically needed for the business and what is typically roles when you are doing the customer support how typically it has helped in terms of the creating a farming business to them right second thing when you go and talk to the customers and then they're very happy those days if you remember uh, mid 90s there was no emails right so so i used to tell even during that time i think if you really like my job i think why don't you do anonymous feedback about me 
and they used to fax it to the Wipro regional office, saying that how typically uh, with the rating. To, the rating become quite common now, but, but I am talking about in 1995, you used to basically talk about that. But what happened is, I think that's a very interesting because I was, I think, doing well, you know, when sales and everybody talks good about you, but there is always, uh, I think your manager probably either, I don't know whether it's a sense of insecurity or in sense of whatever it is. I've been rated, I think, two times in a quarter, uh, the BP. In the BP, in a Wipro is called below, basically, uh, performance. So if you had in a Wipro, even now, right, I think you have a consecutively twice the BP, I think you'll be out, right? So that is typically the performance. You know, but in my case, rather than uh, uh, being out because the customer, sales guys, and everybody talks so high about it. So I've been given a, one of the critical department, uh, which is typically launching infrastructure services for the typically at the global level and that is where i had an interaction with the vc and later on he hired me for aztec and so on and, and probably i will tell you the interesting story with him but i think i won uh, probably the one of the first customer for wipro in that particular segment and you know i think later on uh, when i became a cio and probably uh, and then went to singapore and my uh, the earlier boss was working in uh, still in uh, the ubs and then i used to meet him one of the star hotel and probably you could see uh, the sense of i i think enviness or whatever you can ca call but i said that oh i have achieved my objective so that means to 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 all the people right i used to tell the slogan when such things happens right the best is beat them with your smile and kill them with your success right so basically uh, you should never burn the bridges and you should still be in a touch and make sure that you grow taller than them and then probably make them realize that what the skills that probably he has parted with right so so that is the key message i would really wanted to give and the sense of customer centricity when you're talking about it at a given point of a time that saved a job but also i think due to the uh, rather than feeling insecure during that time i had two of the certification those those times mcse and ccie in fact i was MCAT, one of the first in the Wipro, and CCI, I was, I was one of the first in uh, from the, the India, where they, where you have to go to the Singapore to clear the lab test, right? It, the lab test was not available here in uh, India at that time. So what I'm talking about that basically helped me in terms of reskilling myself, I think, to, to sharpen my basically edge. And then later on, that gave me the head of IT role. And second thing was to prove that, okay, I think um, I'm not bad and probably the confidence rather than going down it went up saying that i just wanted to prove uh, in a way because i this you know i think goes back to my father's story right the learned right and because you had uh, the scarcity of everything but you know the situation probably won't help you to make better i think not worse so nataraj i think i think we are at uh, you know probably a right place to sort of start talking about some of the mentoring incidents uh, because you you are giving you know, certain principles and all that. I'm sure you learned it from some of your seniors. So tell us like one or just one or two stories quickly. Uh, we are just, uh, just around the halfway mark. Oh, okay. So, so I think, see, uh, I always uh, give uh, my first mentor, the VC, V. Chandrasekhar, who was a Vipro system CEO. And he had me, as I said, to the Aztec. And uh, first of all, I think I had a great respect because that time in the Vipro, there was a so much of a, uh, the gap between both of us, but because he was managing global r &D, that's why I couldn't touch with him. But later on, when he was an Aztec, that I started reporting to him directly as a part of the CIO because I went 
after they are sent to the CIO directly to basically uh, part of his management team. What I learned is uh, because you know there is one interesting thing because he always used to think big. He's taken a big facility even when basically there was no projects and all. So during the audit, right, one of the the facility head came out. In fact, we are a group of team to just to basically uh, because IT is not merely IT, right? I've been asked to stitch in, so in order to I think to have a larger capacity of the work. So he came and, and we were just having a meeting and he said that, hey, I have found out there is no access control and STP were typically objected. What do we do, VC? He said that, am I a carpenter? Am I going to build the door? I think, why don't you basically get hold of some carpenter and get this access in place? So that taught me, right? Never take a credit of what is you are supposed to do in life, right? So that is the first basically concept. And then second thing again, right? I think during that time, that's the mentoring probably it goes to the Hughes and the guy who was heading is a Madhu who came from the GE and probably, you know, I think the GE culture, right? They're pretty much uh, very, very uh, cutthroat in terms of their speaking, right? So, so when I, uh, we were growing at the rate of 40% and, you know, the capacity goes to full and then you go and complain to the head of uh, Hughes saying that when I was head of IT, saying that, hey, uh, Madhu, I was running, uh, we are running out of the seat. Then he used to tell that, hey, I have a three bedroom flat. Why don't you shift there? So basically saying that, boss, you just come out with a plan and then why don't you basically suggest something? I think I'm not here to basically help you with the sitting capacity. You guys have to come out with. So what I'm talking about, when you are dealing with, I think the CXOs, the CEOs, right? Never go with the problem. I think you will have a problem, but come go with the solution. I'm sure that if you give them a choice, they will choose one of them. And this is what they you are expected to. And post that, I never went to any of my boss, which is always the CEO with any problem in life. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think I also have this uh, philosophy that you know don't go to them with problem. I mean, you have a problem, you want them to give a solution, but then uh, you know you think through the solutions on your own. Create a few alternatives, okay? So don't give, don't go to them with problem, but go to them with alternative solutions and a recommendation. Okay. And it's like, you know, help them choose. Okay. Sure. So it's like, yeah, you, it's like you're making a decision on a platter and asking them to give it to you. So Absolutely. that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great one, Nataraj. So Nataraj, uh, now let me move on to the next one. Um, you know, I think, I think some of your. Uh, entrepreneurship mindset uh, that we see uh, flowering later on. Uh, tell us an early incident of it. Uh, you know when uh, that, along with change management, you know you were you were able to execute something which had a lot of naysayers. I could recall one good example. I think this is the start I said right in my earlier conversation that basically gave me. Uh, I walked away with the, uh, the dual role. I think I entered as a CI role, and this was. The case of the Ericsson and uh, Ericsson is hundred plus year or plus old organization and they have one of the best processes even to just to choose a clip right there is a hundred pages article that are probably supporting article how do you choose it right so this is the company when uh, and in two thousand when basically that's the dot com first happened right one of the major uh, basically the impact was on the telecom sector right so Ericsson is being the one of them but you know you see the value of this Ericsson right. And uh, that time, you know, I think there in an organization uh, specific to the product organization, and there is a lot of small, small, small product, uh, basically the group, right? Uh, and but all the product group needed a testing, basically services, which is typically after basically you putting a 
product that you emulate and stimulate typically the exchanges and so on. And these are all the very expensive thing. But however, it will look like hardware, which is the Sun Solaris, the E10K those days, right? Uh, which is a very expensive hardware and then software, which is more or less what typically the IT uh, would see. It. it was very, very basically uh, the common sense. I said that uh, I saw the typically the gap here. I said that why don't we centralize all of those things that can save a multi-million dollar? Because this is what typically Ericsson is going through and they're trying to save the, the million dollar, right? I think a couple of millions of dollars. But, you know, the board uh, basically approved it, but in, in one condition saying that we are okay, but as long as you just go and convince uh, till the chain of the testers, because they they say that we can close down the center, but we'll not basically compromise on the value of the people. But the guy who typically wants to work there has to come with the full consensus, not that it has to be forced, right? So, so my journey then again became rather than then bottoms up, then I went down to up, right? Convincing all the testers why you should be basically first be part of that uh, central organization. Then, um, and how your career would span and what kind of a technology spread that you would have. Going to the product manager, those people who has the custodian of those equipment, releasing those equipment, what would it would translate when you are in a need? Because half of your product will not go to the share, I think to the market uh, if, if you don't test it. And these days, you'll not be uh, given a basically approval to do a testing. So releasing to the central, but at the same still you will have autonomy to use those things. So I came out of the grid computing uh, phenomena, which is called a cloud. I'm talking about 2001, right? So uh, there was no cloud during that time, right? Uh, so I came out of the grid computing where simple web stage, there is centralized hardware where you can do a time slice booking and then probably that can, and then leave it, I think, because end of the day, the product organization did not need that for the 365 days continuously. They need it for some hours, right? If I can give some hours and then, and whosoever is giving the equipment, given back, given back that to the product organization back. So that was a successful story, which has a good change management where people is the first, I think, has looked at it. Uh, then the correcting the process, then implementing a technology. The technology came pretty last, right? I think, and that probably also saved a millions of dollars. And that is the one of the, the project where always in, uh, in Ericsson, we used to comply with the policies, rules, and implementation from the Sweden to here. And that is the first time it went from the Asia Pacific uh, to uh, the, the Sweden and that particular part. And, you know, uh, being a head of I, a CIO, right, I also was now handling the testing division. And interestingly, there were engineering head, there was the HR head, there is a finance head. And whenever basically Ericsson CEO used to travel, India CEO used to travel, I used to be stand in for two months, uh, uh, the kind of a trust that I could basically establish in the whole process. Absolutely, absolutely. So, but I think, I think, uh, Nataraj, uh, when I hear this story, a couple of things that come to my mind. One is that the first thing you identified an inefficiency in the organization, which is that this testing group is heavily underutilized. And this is something that can be, you know, far more, uh, I would say, utilized if you bring it centrally and then you did everything to execute it and the biggest one is about the change management but one thing i also want to call out is the culture of the company which is that you know no top-down intervention disrupting things but you know go bottoms up okay convince everyone and if everyone agrees go ahead and do that change but that's a, that's a very interesting story uh, thanks for that.
So Nataj, let me uh, move on to the next one, which is like, you know, now you, your transformation from a CIO to a, a PNL role. So uh, please share uh, this experience uh, of, you know, going from a CIO to a PNL role. What are your learnings on transformation and, and how those learnings help you become a better CIO actually? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So some are the other how, right? I think, you know, as luck would have had it, I always landed either the wrong time or probably the wrong time has given a more opportunity, right? I think I was talking about 2001, I landed into the Ericsson, it was a dot-com bust. And similarly, when I landed in Ericsson 2008, uh, and probably after three, six months, there is a subprime uh, issue, right? There was a lot of budget ID cut. So the very reason, I think, when, when you go and join with the full mood and, and suddenly you see, I think everything under people are getting cut, salaries have been cut because if you really see that 2009 was the biggest, uh, basically, the downturn in the IT industry, right? Where I think most of the people been been asked to go at even the cut in the money. And at that time, I also been asked to basically cut in terms of the budget, right? But interestingly, right, uh, you know, always, right, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Now you so-called, right? So, so I said that rather than cutting it, why don't basically I uh, innovate or incubate, uh, I think, the new business uh, for typically uh, in IT. And that is where I came out with the infrastructure management services consultant. You know, I think this was not new because Atul and Atul, who is the chairman of Hexa, were always believed that that is the right thing to go. But it was never approved by the board because every software industry felt that if you are running a simple infrastructure services, your evaluation on the software industry would come down. Right. That was the typically the thesis, not that they would want. And second thing, the margins of the infrastructure is relatively lesser than that. And that probably will pull you the margin. And again, that was the second why it has always been rejected. But my the whole theory was that the survival theory right so I, and that is the time you know i think uh, the cloud was just emerging i said that why don't we really look at it this in the two ways one is you are asked me to cut a budget in which ways i think give me th six months time they are three to six months time where i use these are the resources uh which is you don't while i'm starting i'm not asking you any budget to start right uh, uh from the uh, from the people perspective right uh are from infrastructure because i said that you give me the same basically the people to run it but definitely i was needing a two or three people to so the two to market facing people because you need a sales guy and you need a typically customer success guy and all of those things so those were the few investment but at the same time i came out of the business plan of uh those days of uh, 50 million uh basically business plan in uh, three years right so so i think it looked uh very, very promising. But the question was, I think, why do you think so when basically everybody is uh, so many years of old in this infrastructure business, you would be successful? I said, this is a, I think uh, the, whenever there is a technology change, right? There is a uh, space for the, the new basically company in that because we will not have any old baggage. And that is where basically the cloud concept came in. And um, I, uh, I transferred most of the infrastructure to the cloud for two reasons. One is, when the consolidation offices were getting closed and then we were moving one one single campus right that time there were multiple basically offices right and then you're closing and then moving to the one but at the same time during uh, the uh, stpa restriction you could not move equipment to the scz because there's no movement allowed right during that time but what you could do but you can't throw away the server just because you wanted to operate from the scz service right so i came out with the thing that everything should be one data center putting it, uh, I think, the big thing. 
and uh, we retained one one officer with and converted to the bigger server room and then all the computing resources across we end up basically uh, basically drawing from that so that basically started a thinking of concept of the cloud right and then probably we went out and we also gave the name called trademark as a rainmaker and still it be trademarked as a rainmaker where my slogan was don't uh, basically our objective is not to save a million dollar but to find a million ways to save a dollar so that was typically my slogan of the rainmaker those days and you know awesome. i think not only that saved the cost of it but also it launched a cloud services the the main hardcore erp business what hexaware is to run so we used to tell that we can do sap on the three tier architecture and or oracle on the three tier architecture that gave a birth to the new way of uh, selling the uh, erp business uh, from that perspective so now so, so, i think uh, yeah Nataj, I think I think that's a great story. You know, when you are being asked to cut cost, you find a way to uh, you know uh, transfer that cost to, towards a PNL, and uh, and start making some money. But I think you know that is something which you can do in an IT company where you were a CIO. Uh, but before I ask you a related question to that, let me share you share with you my own example. I took over as a CIO in March 2009, which was a few months after the subprime crisis. And I think my my CFO and my boss had sleepless nights. I knew I knew how much stress he was into, and he asked me to cut budgets by 30%. And I was looking around. You know, we were already underinvested, much below the industry benchmarks. And you know, I was in a corner, and I offered to him. I said, "Boss, you know, whatever you want me to cut cost, double of that, I will give you as a business value." Then I told him that, listen, you know, all these technologies that we have invested in, I don't think we are making the most out of it. What I'll do is, without a few, without new investment, just by sweating out these technologies better, I will give you double that, uh, double that business impact. So he looked at me, and he didn't know how to respond because, as a CFO, you know, thirty percent cost versus sixty percent impact. What will you choose? So he gave me that, and I think uh, from then on, as long as I was the CIO. I used to report uh, the business value added every year, which used to be a few x times of my IT budget, and that's what actually helped get, get IT budget. Hey, I am your podcast host Jagdish Belwal. I had a rich career as CIO at Tata Motors and GE. Now, as an advisor, I help organizations transform with technology. Technology is necessary for digital transformation, but not sufficient. So I help organizations with the rest of it: leadership, strategy, culture, change management, etc. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. For now, keep listening and don't forget to subscribe the podcast and do connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me ask you the next question. We are talking of IT budgets, which is a concern of every single CIO. Okay, Absolutely. and. Uh, and i was surprised to see when you said that i didn't have a problem with the budgets uh, so now broadly how do you think about it budgets and what is your advice to our fellow cios about how to look at it budgets absolutely i never had any problem for simple basic thing right i think it's a again a common sense right uh, i'll just give you one analogy before basically i start i think so that you will appreciate uh, a person i think enters in a train and then he with the heavy suitcases and so on and then even basically when he got into the train his birth right i think he's still carrying uh, uh, the suitcases on his head and everybody start laughing at him hey i think now you have uh, the birth reserved why don't you put uh, suitcases down 
I said, no, no, this is my suitcase. I have to, I think, basically take this weight. They're again laughing. So basically, the IT organization is like that, right? Why do they carry the budget of the functions on their own head, right? Uh, because uh, it is you're you're not doing buying a server for yourself. Neither you are implementing a technology or URP for yourself. You are doing it for the business. So I came out with and wherever I came, I introduced a concept called BPOC, which is business process operational concept, right? Where I always used to have some CEO to be the head of the BPOC, but CEO, you know, never turns to that meeting. You know, I think he has a lot of other things to do. So end up you basically end up you doing the things for him. But however. There is a finance head, HR, and everybody, I think, is a part of this concept. So whichever the technology, typically, I really wanted to have, always have under his budget, right? And you are the, going to be the spender of the budget, right? I think it doesn't matter where it sits. But always, you know, and, and you, two things you need to achieve, right? One is you're talking about the budget, and second thing is the ROI. And ROI, most of the time, is not that uh, uh, because of the implementation that goes back. ROI because of the data, which garbage goes in, garbage comes out, right? You might have a, one of the best success uh, SAP or ERP, right? But if you don't have a data into it, it won't give you the, I think, uh, 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 required output, right? But if you are part of the BPOC and that guy said that, hey, this is the business things that I needed and I have implemented it for it, it becomes his responsibility to make it a successful. So I probably achieve two things here. One is walking out with always with the budget because with me there is another crime happens with the hr or finance or finance uh, i think the business or sales guy and second thing also the implementation of those budgets uh, again is not my responsibility but however i always control these two without knowing them right so that's the basically uh, the beauty of it i absolutely in fact uh, you know i had carved out in my own so i tried to uh, bring in a concept which was like you know the budgets which are required for IT operations and the budget which are required for business process capabilities, whether it's for HR or for supply chain. But my boss refused. He said, like, you know, you need to take the entire ownership. So we said, okay, no problem. And then uh, we started actually, like, you know, a governance process with the business uh, heads or the department heads. And uh, we would do the entire uh, process of business, of planning, budgeting, prioritization with them. And then we will tell them that, hey, listen, you know, this is what we are going to be submitting as part of the budget, which we want you to sponsor whenever these come for, you know, approvals and defense and all that. So it was like a proxy one, but yeah, it's it's working together with them. They need to fully be convinced about, you know, what you're asking the money for. And uh, we need to educate them to a level where they defend uh, your budget, even without uh, you being present there. Nataraj, out of all these, which is the company you enjoyed working for and why? Okay. Liner. Okay, it's a very interesting. I would say Aztec because that started a entrepreneurial mindset. Again, you know, I think one of the first startup, even before people could really imagine that is uh, the world of the startup, right? But all of these things that what I do is even helping me today. And you know, VC was a great VC is always a great. Company. Next question, which is about being the startup founder of Autonomic IQ and what was the experience and what did you learn? You know, I think uh, very, very interesting stuff. You know, I think before even going to the startup, I had, you need to condition your mind because the EA and everything that you have been part with in larger company, right, is not going to come with you, right? So when I had a basically plan to go for a startup, 
three months basically i given my ea and everything to my uh, the uh, basically ci organization and i was not using any of those things and completely hands on gummy bear it took some one month two month three month irritation because you never was doing all of those things but it really helped because it conditions you in mind by the time typically you come and start a startup it's just like i think you've been traveling today to mumbai to pune city right i think when you when you come go from the highway right uh, and enter into the cities right you still will be in the the mindset uh, and you still wanted to run 150 kilometers per hour while you enter in the city but later on you realize no there is a city traffic there is a bumpy road and there is a lot many other things which will uh, which will probably condition yourself to make sure that you try to adjust accordingly startup is one such thing where you need to adjust lot of things i think which is typically according to the startup but one essence of a successful startup is two three things one is how well you build your network right so that people don't come to your basically company brand people will help you to your own brand right so when we say your own brand the friends right i think the community that we are talking about and and probably to me when i ran autonom iq right all the company that i worked for hugs um, uh, to mindtree to hexaware to kpit all of them were my customers so you can really right i could and we pro you could go back to each and every basically company that you have passed through and then because i was very good in terms of uh, networking the customer centricity that i talked about when i say customer customer is not only the end customer but also sales to the people right i think to me i think uh, sometimes friends is also customer right i think so all those uh, guys really helped me in terms of establishing it second thing hiring definitely is not a easy cup of tea when you run a startup because you know you have to compete with the biggies and then you may not be able to offer everything uh, that basically any other company is offer but there is innovation there is uh, uh, the technology that we came out with the path breaking ai and ml and then you need to sell right again you are selling this concept uh, to 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 the young minds to join you right why any iit probably will not join uh, the larger company like a google or why would they join you right but you need to sell this concept to them so you know the startup basically help i think makes you definitely a good technology person but also good uh, in, in a way i think good selling person uh, automatically awesome awesome and what was it about expressway and the city roads you know right i think once you uh, come i think and start managing you get used to it right i think you know how to basically navigate through it right so that is right. a that is a sense of learning which comes saying that hey now you know i think also sometimes uh, the way you have come because my early years i said right my mother used to every year they she used to basically change the place right without any support so some of these things you know you learn by the experience and you probably would have seen somebody executing it and this will never hurt you because you know uh, if you have been built in these values i think it will never go wrong and you yeah. know learning is always continuous okay so um, uh, so natraj uh, there are some audience questions so dattatre is asking uh, being a cio how often did you manage to get the financial details of the company from cfo or ceo how was your experience while obtaining such details you know so interesting thing because i always been lucky because cfo and chro is always close friend of mine as i said even when basically you design a facility and when you define a facility i think cio plays a very important role so i 
always used to make sure that I'm in the same complex where the CF and CHRO sits, right? So that uh, you always don't talk only about uh, your uh, the the official stuff, but also you talk uh, the other things as well. So that first of all, that be, makes you a much more I think person, and then probably build a relationship. And second thing, when you do a BPOC, right? I think the information is something which probably is been mandated to give because the process has been set like that. You need to give that, right? And third yeah. thing, I think after the you if if you know 2008, 2009 Satyam case, right? This becomes very, very evident, right? I think where the financials and the IT and financials become a very, very important factor of that. Where the CIO used to sign on a balance sheet report even before that. And you know, I think all the information that is being entered is true, right? So I think these are all some of the things uh, which I think moved you to the boardroom. And also uh, uh, when you when you have to sign for some of the things, I think be sure that some of the information is being authentic and so on. Yeah, let, let's move on, uh, Nataraj. So, uh, Nataraj, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I had one curiosity that, you know, after an exit into a, uh, from a startup that within three years, you know, one of the things that you want to do is to like, you know, you know, just come out and, and play, play golf, retire and play golf. And uh, you are a golfer and I was like, you know, then why Nirmata? So what's the story? Tell us a quick one, quick one behind it. How did Nirmata come? Sure. See, the investor which, who has invested in typically in uh, Autonomy Q, right, invested in Nirmata. And when he talked about Nirmata, I said, hey, this is the next company probably which is uh, going to be a, very soon a unicorn of the world, right? So should be invested. So it's just like a story, right? I think like a, uh, any Don says, right? Startup is uh, start, startup is Daldala, right? So I always been blessed by you know the investors I think who typically pursued me to 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 join yeah. them. So so you you had the confidence of the investor to say that okay you know I bought over your company but here's my other investing company. Why didn't <laughs> yeah. take yes, awesome. I think he gave me a three or four choices and probably I think you know the Nirmata was close to me because. That is the typically, you know, the state of open source and Kubernetes. And then I could relate myself uh, right from the Wipro days. I thought I think this could be the, the best thing to start my next. So, uh, so Nataraj, I think uh, there's a question from Kiran, which is for me, if I'm correct, because, uh, you know, when I talk about like adding that business value, so interested to know how you convince the management of adding business value. Can you share a few examples? Of course, Kiran, you know, uh, so we looked at, uh, one of the things I did when I became a CIO was to basically set up, you know, some architects and ask them to, you know, develop a sort of a BPML, a business process master list of the organization. And, uh, you know, we used to continuously refer to it as to, okay, which of these processes, you know, are manual or, you know, where technology is not uh, being effectively used or where we have done something but you know it has got diluted or whatever whatever so so you know some examples would be that you know even in something as simple as uh, material inward gate you know um, we would find that you know either you know a barcode printer uh, scanner is broken or something else is broken and it's not being used and, you know people are happily putting manpower on it and we were making and we were making sure through our team of drms that the processes as built in our ERPs and uh, you know various systems, they used to physically audit those that you know are these working or not. The second big uh, you know uh, low hanging fruit that we found was in was in BI. 
So I brought in a BI leader, you know, a budding young person who's now a, a sort of chief delivery officer. Said like, you know, please, you know, empower our uh, people with information. The other thing which, uh, you know, a simple thing which we did was to improve this speed of information. So, you know, I was using SMS in a big way on the CRM side from where I came. And, uh, you know, I, I asked my team and my team had already converted that into web service. And we just opened it up to all the application teams. And we said, okay, you know, wherever people are looking for an, for an SMS or a real-time alert from the system, please use this and build it. And, you know, very soon we had like these hourly uh, production alerts or like downtime alerts, et cetera, et cetera, coming from our MES systems or SAP systems. And uh, that really, so a lot of it was improving the brand and perception IT, but quite a few of it were, you know, tangible value adds, which we were, which we had our own ways of capturing. So, and, Chibis, I think, uh, do, do uh, I think, as uh, me, I think similar way, right? I think I always divide into the four typically, right? In the IT organization, finance, HR, delivery, uh, and typically the, the metrics, what CEO requires it, right? So in the sales always, right, your DSOs are typically how much time it will take, how much leakage is of, and then uh, typically what the customer requires from the sales. And uh, because those guys who travels, I think absolutely need a constant information of what is the last budget and renewables on time and so on, right? And from the finance perspective, it's always, uh, right? Uh, the, for example, after that, we always had a quarterly report. I think the closure of the quarters is much faster because your all systems were integrated and so on. From the delivery, if you really see the cost of it, IT goes, right? I think I mean, if I charge, say, I'm just giving you a ballpark, the $20 per hour, right? So there is an infrastructure and there is a people cost, $5 per hour. So that means if you know this cost, you'll be able to see that what is your gross margin and so on. There is no system in no way I think you'll be able to know it, right? I think how do you typically take a project, right? If at all at the 40% less or 20% less, what, what amount of the time you walk out with saying that I think I can't, go beyond that because this will uh, give me a negative margin. This can be only done by, I think if you have the calculations of, I think your cost per seat, your delivery efficiency and so on, and that can only come by the system. And in uh, basically the good times in uh, typically IT organization, there was always a dropout. For example, there is 10 of the people who joined probably will not turn up, I think the next month, but earlier, IT and uh, HR used to give the salary and then used to recover. So these are all the leakage of the typically financial. In the IT, typically whenever that they exit and immediately this goes, this only system probably can prove all of those things. As long as you can quantify in each of these quadrants, I'm sure that I think that will give you the business value. Yeah. So, you know, and you know, whatever you were talking about right Nataraj, what really struck me was that they are all uh, business issues. They're all business process issues. And as a CIO, there is no alternative to knowing your business well, knowing what the what the pains are, knowing where the information requirements are, and where that those information requirements can improve your process or can tighten your process. I mean, you know, just uh, when you talk about the quarterly report. So, Kiran, coming back to your question again, uh, one of the things we used to do was to publish an annual uh, report of IT, where the focus was on the business uh, value added. And the other thing that we did was, you know, in the senior management governance that I had set up between me and the CXOs, uh, the first slide was not on what we are doing right now for you for the next two years. I, I insisted on the first slide being the projects that we have done for you in the last two years 
and some sort of a ROIG uh, status of these projects in terms of whether are these projects effectively being used and are they driving value for your business or not because the business head would quickly then able to connect that you know a lot of the, the business issues that they see across all the departments in terms of their you know respective uh, traffic lights uh, in different departments whether an it intervention has already happened in those areas or not and when we show something red they're able to quickly correlate that okay you know what this is where technology is not being used effectively plus also like you know where people are showing a green performance and we show something that we have done in the last two years they would be able to correlate those uh, you know the business and the it part of it clearly so uh, Nataraj, uh, we are like just at the end of the hour. So let me now move on to the last part of our uh, discussion, which is the rapid fire and some of the other questions that I had for you. Now let me let me convert them into rapid fire. Okay. So Nataraj, uh, you are a golfer. I'm also a golfer. I want to hear from you. What does golf teach you about life? Uh, the golf is simple, right? The opportunity is not always obvious, and success is a lot depend upon what your next step is. You know, right? You may do well in the first drive, but unless you close on the green, right? I think you'll not be. It's always, I think, what you do next is much most important. Yeah, and I fully agree with you. You have to forget your previous shot. You Absolutely. Had a previous bad shot, just forget it. Hit the next one good. If you had the previous good shot, uh, your next shot could be good if you are just basking in the glory of your previous shot. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, Nataraj, what are the three lifelong values you got from your parents? Simple as we talked again and again, frugal mindset, no jealousy, no comparison, right? I think do your work. I think probably it will lead you to your ultimate goal. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Nataraj, again, uh, the next question is, you know, you made various career moves and, you know, to a lot of youngsters uh, who are listening to you here, What's your advice on you know, how do you how do you make career goals? My my actually uh, uh, with the takeaway from what I did, right? I jumped and never jumped uh, my role uh, uh, for the salary, right? I always did it for the uh, and I did never do a lateral uh, jumping as well, right? I always did for the better role and better things, you know. And sometimes if I if I had to sorry if I had to take the cut in some of the basically parts or something, so be it, right? You know, I think there is a saying, uh, probably in a sarkar, uh, always all favorite, right? Kabi kabi dur ke fayde ke ko sehna padta, right? So it is like that, right? I think you'll always find that what it will translate you rather than basically from the short coming, short time profits. There was, there was one time you, you, you left to dollars for rupees. What's that incident? Uh, which is the one I think. Uh, uh, you went to uh, you were you didn't go to Wipro US, but you. Oh, okay, okay, got. Okay. Yes, you you know I think uh, uh, during when I said that I won the first international client, so obviously I think uh, I had to transfer to the US Wipro, right? Uh, and you know those days uh, Wipro used to give three thousand dollar per month, and then huge uh, salary was much lesser than if you really compare that. Out of the nine, uh, the ten, um, uh, I asked a question that whether I should go here and uh, probably stay in India. So nine of, out of them told that U.S. experience is good. Everybody is going to the U.S. If you're not going to the U.S., you miss something. So please go. Except the one person. But I decided to stay here. But what it translated is because I believed in because uh, 
I was doing the same role in the US. It doesn't matter whether uh, this geography or that geography. But here, I think first time I have given the head of IT role, which is three times larger than what the role that I was been playing. But yeah, in the compensation, as I said, it was far lesser than what probably that would uh, dollar convention would do, right? Uh, and that is one of the reasons I think everyone was going to the US. Uh, but that translated to a big plus, you know, I, uh, because uh, uh, always, right, I think uh, uh, staying here, uh, the IT grew in that 10 years, 2000 to 2010, the maximum, because there is a 30 to 40 percent growth every year where the US and West, I think, did not grow. And, you know, if you are a part of the growth phase, you will also grow along with that. And that probably Absolutely. also the success uh, achieved, I think, in a shorter time. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think, uh, you know, I also passed out in the mid-90s and that's when there was a rush to go to the U.S. And uh, uh, most of my uh, classmates were going there. I had one classmate who had gone to, and my best friend who had gone to U.S. And every time I would talk to him that, hey, you know what, I want to come there. He was like, Jagdish, don't do that. I'm here. I know what kind of work we do. Uh, you are a better manager. You go up the career ladder, uh, which is much easier for you to do in India than here. Uh, and programming is not your cup of tea. Okay. And uh, I actually followed his advice <laughs> and I remained here. Anyway, so let's move on to the next uh, rapid fire. Uh, at what age did you become independent in your life? I became very early because uh, uh, age of 10, when I was a fifth standard, I think my parents never came to school, neither to the college. I think after that, I think everything I managed. In fact, at the age of uh, 14 or 15, I used to take tuitions as well. So I think probably from the maturity perspective, at the age of 10, I was, I think, relatively mature. Oh, awesome, awesome. Um, in, incidentally, I went to a hostel at the age of 10 and a half. So I was I was forced to become mature. To the most of, I think, our generations, right? I think uh, where people have been put to the tight spot. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, um, um, going independent at the age of 10, coming from humble backgrounds, you know, we have people, you know, who are, uh, uh, you know, who struggle, who come from small towns, who come from humble backgrounds. What's your message to the people, uh, you know, as you look back at your life? See, it's very, very basically a thing that I think always... Uh, uh, look for the uh, opportunity which can you can view it for the future rather than the present, right? And uh, uh, and then also uh, never leave the learning part of that. I think that is something which is, uh, you know, even in IT, right, the space that we are in, the learning never ends, right? I think uh, uh, technology is one thing. Also, you can also learn the different skills and so on. I think uh, which I always tell that you need to be a constant learner, and if at all, if you want to be in this space. Absolutely, absolutely, great. So, uh, Nataraj, we are sort of at the end of the uh, our chat. Um, still, managed. Still, we have maybe a minute more. So, before you ask me the revenge question, I was intrigued by the award that you got from the British Parliament. What's the story behind that? You know, I think uh, there are two awards, which is uh, uh, one is uh, Hindratanam by the, the chairman of uh, economic advisor in prime minister of India office uh, uh, in uh, uh, India parliament and then the British parliament house of commons. Both of them, I think, has uh, several facets. One is definitely I did uh, in the field of IT and then also the startup and bringing, uh, I think, some of the investment. I've been very connected to the NASCOM and so on. Second thing, 
I also did a lot of things from the social part, uh, uh, part of it. Uh, in fact, I also participated with the uh, former uh, uh, ex-Microsoft India chairman, Ravi Venkateshan, part of the SVP for a while, right? And also, I think, did a couple of things which probably uh, in the uh, the NRA community which attracted this typically award. So I've been asked uh, uh, by the typically uh, British Parliament to achieve award and there are 30 people worldwide typically goes ev uh, every year to receive this kind of award so awesome. i've awesome. been fortunate enough to be a part of this study awesome man i you know I, I think i think it's inspirational that you know you are still that you're giving back as much as you have received uh, again coming from a humble background you have you have, you have reached somewhere and now you're giving back and and that's getting you those accolades so Nataraj, like, yeah, the last part of the chat, you know, your your revenge question to me. I've been asking you questions. So I call it the revenge question. Your question to me. Sure. I think uh, one is this platform is pretty good and it really uh, requires a lot of time really to go through and each of it. I think you are doing a great job. But uh, the question to you, uh, what is basically one thing which uh, made you to start this platform and uh, what you view this is uh, in the next five years, uh, this to be a part of, right? So is it something which you are thinking or probably are doing it uh, uh, and probably will see it, how it basically spans up? I think what is typically overall objective of it? Yeah. So great question, uh, Nataraj. So see, we are in our 42nd episode. So when I started it, I I had not thought this far that we will go to, we'll will continuously go to uh, you know 42 or whatever but it was but i think uh, when we did it uh, it came out of a certain uh, purpose i actually sat on the idea i got this linkedin live approval and i knew that i wanted to talk about you know the the business value of it and uh, you know creating success with technology transformations and you know getting real because in various IT conferences that we have been, and you know, I have had discussions with my peers that hey, you know what, things are not as rosy as we make out make them make out uh, them to be in the IT conference. So why don't we talk the real uh, stuff, which is that technology-led transformations are hard. Uh, nobody in the conference talks about change management. Change management is the hardest thing to do in IT. So who's talking about the real issues and? Uh, and I had, you know, somehow focused on these and I had made a good success of uh, most of the projects. I had even resurrected some of the projects that were like almost at the verge of failure when I took over as a CIO. I, I never gave up on any project because, you know, when you start them, it's a huge uh, effort to get the approvals and, you know, create the business case and start them. And then, you know, how can you, how can you give up on that promise of the project? So. Uh, I had a near 100% uh, track record in uh, making these projects successful. And as I said, you know, doing everything right, right in terms of like taking the challenge to the CXOs and, and giving them their project dashboard, taking a political risk, telling them that, hey, you know, we have done these 10 projects, five out of them, you know, we have not done the business process changes or the change management or like, you know, sort of closing out the alternative paths of that process and therefore, this is how your uh, dashboard uh, looks like. Uh, this is a political risk because you are actually taking panga with your peers, even though you are being, becoming darling of your CXOs. So there are many things I did. I thought that, you know, the platform, uh, we can share all these stories. 
initially it was that you know like maybe i can do it uh, on my own but i as i talked about the agenda to my fellow cios i think it connected with the, all of them the fact that you know we should we should be real about uh, these issues so as i said it took me about 3 months to really make up my mind that i want to do this and i knew that it's going to take that kind of effort but i think once the purpose is you know solid and clear then this happens automatically and you know i think you know the amount of time we have spent together absolutely that's a wonderful thing one other uh, things that probably i would want to part definitely that helped me uh, from the learning perspective to change to the business leader right we all cios is part always part of the, either the boardroom or probably sit across the managements right where the sales head and everybody is the part of it and sales guys runs their quarterly update and all of those things right now i am at least 60 quarters old in terms of my business ability i never went to the any of the management school but however my learnings from i think the ceo's board right i think uh, typically is more than the 60 quarters the more than 15 years i've been a part of the business you know you are learning from the best of the sales guy running this quarter after the quarter talking about each and every customer my my basically uh, uh, the message to the all the ceos when you really look at it don't look at it from the only the it systems or information or those kind of a perspective look at from the learning perspective what you can learn from either the hr or from the finance or probably even the sales uh, typically in uh, in in the functions right uh, typically what they do and how they can do in case if you tomorrow start a company can you basically adopt some of those things what you are learning from that and then just and if required some kind of a training to to sharpen your skills and so be it right yeah. but you know i think that you should never leave because those are the assets that has been built all over the years no absolutely uh, natraj and i think you know if i again convert these from a first principle point of view you need to have a learners mindset the learners mindset comes out of curiosity uh, curiosity is the key characteristic of kids and you know why they are you know boldly curious is because they don't have an ego because they say i don't know right i think so to be a good learner you have to be bold enough to say i don't know tell me right and i think with that attitude when you go around the business and just tell people hey you know i want to know how this happens i don't really know even though i may be sitting somewhere wow what a spell binding and spirited discussion with natraj i loved it and i hope you loved it too please do subscribe to the clarity chat podcast it's available on all major podcasting platforms In our next podcast, I will host Neil Madhav Mandal, Global Data Science Lead at Mondelez International, England. Watch out for our next Clarity Chat podcast with Neil.